I remember so well uh, when Caroline and Nick were little, uh, the times that we would be walking out somewhere in public, and um, Sandy and I would always say to them, now you hold our hands. There's a lot of people out here, or there's a lot of traffic going by the sidewalk that we're on, and, and we want to make sure you're safe, so you hold our hand. When they were young, oh, they would grip that hand, and they would stay with us all the way, but as they got older, you know what happened. Uh, they did what people do and are supposed to do, uh, you know, at that stage of life. They began thinking that... Uh, they didn't need mom and dad at all in those situations. And I'll never forget one time in particular, we were in the mall. I know, I have your sympathy. Uh, <laughs> and Caroline and I were walking together, and uh, she was holding my hand. And she kept pulling and, you know, trying to get away. And so I just released her hand and let her go. And she wandered way up ahead of me. I don't remember what it was, but something, I think it was just God intervening, and something made this massive bang sound, <clears throat> like you know, maybe some piece of equipment had been dropped somewhere nearby. And she turned and was white as a sheet and came running back to me and didn't let go of my hand the rest of the time in the mall. You know, when I think about our relationship with God, I realize there are some similarities to um, that illustration I just gave you, but there are some vast differences as well, because the vast difference is, well, the similarity is first that you and I do constantly try to pull our hand away from God. I don't care how spiritual you are, all of us, because of our sin nature at some point, we try to make it on our own. The difference is that as you and I grow older in our walk with God, we should become more dependent upon him, not less dependent. And surely life has taught us this by now, has it not? Yeah, it really hasn't though, has it? Because tomorrow or next week or next month... You or I are going to try it again. There's going to be some situation in our life where we say we, we would never utter these words out loud. Of course we wouldn't. They're unthinkable. And yet in our heart, in our attitude, in our plans, we say, no, I got this. Last week we began the strange book of Ezekiel. I'd ask you to go ahead and turn there. If you would, please. One of the oddest books in the Bible, but filled with beauty and truth and meaning for all of us if we will just take the time um, to listen to it. We saw last week in chapter 1 that God came and encountered this young man named Ezekiel in a stunning, jaw-dropping kind of way. And uh, I'm so glad Kevin read those verses because about the firmament. Do you not find that strange? Did God remove it? I don't know. That's off track, but good grief. I, um, and above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber, 
with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Verse 28, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Throughout the Bible, we see many different ways that the God of the universe stoops down to intersect the path of mankind. He's going merrily on his way. She's going happily on her way. And God says, you know, I need that person. Uh, I want them to, to know me. I want their life to be used for me. And in one way or another, God comes and intersects the lives of people to change them and to prepare them for what he is going to call them to do. Now, for most people, this is not a dramatic experience like it was for Isaiah or Ezekiel or Saul. It's generally just, a, you know, a, a quiet, inward coming to the realization of who God is and who you are by contrast and becoming vividly aware of your sinfulness compared to his holiness. That's generally what that encounter looks like for most of us. And that is the point that all of us must come to in order to truly be used by God. We must come to that place of recognition of who God is, who we are, <clears throat> and our desperate need for him. God came and encountered Ezekiel in this way to prepare him for what was about to happen next. And I mentioned last week that out of all the prophets, I think I would have to say uh, that Ezekiel was called to possibly the most difficult ministry of all. And we'll see that in the upcoming chapters. I mean, he was commanded to do some very strange, uh, embarrassing, painful things, all for the purpose of God trying to reach his rebellious people through him. And Ezekiel, I mean, really, he was almost like just a, a puppet in God's hands. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. But Ezekiel had to come to the place where he was willing to surrender his life to the Lord and say, Lord, you can put me through all these things that you need to, to use me to try to reach your rebellious people. And I'll tell you what, boy, starting next week, we're going to see, I mean, you you might want to bring your Tylenol next week um, because it gets rough for this guy. Um, and it occurs to me no one could have gone through uh, what Ezekiel was called to go through with courage and boldness, with steadfastness um, and faithfulness to the truth, facing opposition and hatred unless that person had first been changed in an encounter with God. And unless that person learned um, to, to go in the strength of the Lord, not in his own strength. And I would just say the same is true for all of us, folks. There are so many um, applications from just, well, two and three today. Uh, I hope to get to those chapters. There's so many applications for us. But this has not changed over the course of time. <clears throat> 
You and I cannot take God's truth to one person or a thousand people until we first encountered the Lord and until we've been empowered by his spirit. Anything outside of that will be a wasted, dead effort. Well, so in these two chapters now, Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3, we see God calling and sending Ezekiel. I'm going to go ahead and read the first seven verses, I believe it is, of chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. And he, that is the Lord, said to me, now remember, Ezekiel is on his face. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Just hear the repetition Like, God didn't need to say this this many times. He's making a point. I'm sending you to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Verse 4, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse... For they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Verse 6, And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Well, I'm out right there. (laughs) Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. Isn't that interesting? Though they are a rebellious house. You think they're rebellious? Verse 7, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Um, I would have to assume that this was a terrifying first assignment for this young man to get from God. Called to go and confront rebellious people with the truth about their sin, People who were so, um, so bitter, so sharp, that they were compared to scorpions. Now, I can tell you, years and years ago, when Sandy and I had our first house, we were out one night, we came home, and there was a scorpion sitting right there on our carpet. And, you know, it's in my contract, I have to be the scorpion killer, so... <laughs> I got the scorpion, and I'm quite proud of myself until I walked into the laundry room and saw two more. Um, What we found out later was we had had a big truckload of mulch delivered. See why I hate gardening? And so they come and dumped it like right beside the house that afternoon, and apparently it was full of scorpions, and they just found their way into our house. See, I have reasons I don't like yard work. Y'all just think I'm lazy. I'm not. Uh, I, I believe after what we saw in chapter 1, with Ezekiel ending up on his face, and now being told to stand up and, and hearing this assignment that he's going to be sent on, I'm pretty sure that Ezekiel at this point was well aware of his weakness and his inability. Pretty sure. He's just seen a vision of the greatness of God. 
He's on his face in fear, feeling very small. And, you know, to sort of add insult to injury, the very first thing God says to him is he calls him son of man. Son of man. It's a reminder of Ezekiel's humanity. There's nothing fancy about that phrase. It's simply a reminder that Ezekiel is nothing but human. And it's a reminder of his need for total dependence upon the Lord. In fact, 93 times in the book of Ezekiel, God uses this phrase and calls him son of man. Um, It's interesting, one of our men texted me last Sunday afternoon about one of the parallels between the life of Ezekiel and the life of Christ. Very interesting study. They both began their ministry at 30. They were both called the son of man. They were both rejected, so on and so forth. As we go through this book, and we see him called son of man over and over again, we'll see just how much Ezekiel will have to depend on the Lord for strength. But what we learn is, as we follow the life of Ezekiel, is no matter how difficult the assignment was that he was called to, God always showed up and enabled him to carry out that assignment. And again, this is so profoundly important for us. God may put something on your heart to do, and it seems larger than life to you, and you go, there's no, there's no way I can undertake this. No, you can't. And so he's teaching you dependence upon him. I mean, whether it's raising children, whether it's going on some mission for him, whether it's speaking to that person at work who's been a jerk to you and showing love, whatever it is, sometimes God will ask us to do things that just seem so much bigger than us. But what we need to know is God will always enable us to do what he has called us to do. Always. I've told you I'm the last person in the world who should be standing up here doing this. The last person. And every Sunday that rolls around and I get ready to do this, my heart starts beating again. Hard. Because I realize I'm over my head here. Uh, and it's a, it's a constant reminder for me that I'd better depend on God and the truth of his word uh, if anything good is going to happen. Now, the, the first way we see Ezekiel being empowered here is through something very interesting that you might not think you'd find in the Old Testament. Look at verse 2 again. He said, then the Spirit entered me. The Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. Now, I've heard some people um, assume or, or claim that the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned at all in the Old Testament. Uh, he certainly is. He's all through the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, you only get two verses into the Bible, in Genesis 1-2, and it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Um, 14 times, unless I've missed some, in the book of Ezekiel, we see the Holy Spirit at work empowering Ezekiel to do what he needed to do. And here, Ezekiel is so overcome by God's glory, he can't even stand up. He doesn't have the uh, the strength to stand up. And so as Ezekiel begins his ministry, what we see is the Holy Spirit begins his accompanying and empowering work with Ezekiel. And it's the same for us today. Jesus said to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away because 
If I go away, the Comforter will come. The Holy Spirit will come. And he will be in you and empower you and lead you and guide you and convict you and so on. And, and the moment that a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, I don't know how all this happens. I, I'm not that smart. I don't understand that. But the Holy Spirit is sent to take up residence inside us from that point on and empowers us then through the rest of our lives unless we make a habit of quenching the Spirit stopping him from doing his work, which is another mind-blowing study for me, to think of the fact that you and I, measly little human beings, have the power to say no to the Holy Spirit and say no to God. Are you kidding me? Whew. But before God ever sends Ezekiel anywhere, this is so interesting to me. Jump down to verse 8. God gives him a stern warning. He says, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, wait a second. Ezekiel is God's chosen man. Why would God need to warn him not to become rebellious? I'll tell you why, and I hope you'll listen. Because it can happen to any of us if we stray from God's truth. Actually, that's not quite correct. Let me say it properly. It will happen to us if we stray from God's truth. Hebrews 3.12 puts it this way. See to it, brothers, a term that as far as I can tell, is never once used in the Bible for unbelievers. So it's very clear he's writing to saved people. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Ooh. That won't preach good today in churches. What is the one thing that will keep us from becoming like that? Look at Ezekiel 2.8 again, but this time I want to put the emphasis on a different part of that verse. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. How's he going to avoid that? Open your mouth and eat what I give you. We are to hear what God says as we go through our life. We're to open our ears, open our eyes, open our mind, open our heart, and take in what he is feeding us, what he is telling us. Psalm 119 verse 11 puts it beautifully this way. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I can quote more verses than anybody? No, so that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take up residence in you. So God says, Ezekiel, eat what I give you. And what exactly is that? Well, let's pick up again in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> now, when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, 
and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Chapter 3, verse 1. There really shouldn't be a chapter division here. I don't know if the guy hiccuped when he was doing this, but um, moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and then go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate And it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. God is giving Ezekiel here a visual lesson of how absolutely necessary it is for him to internalize God's truth and to fill himself with it, for it to become a part of him so that he will then be equipped to go and take that message to those who need to hear it. Why? Because you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. We must spend our lives. How many times have I told you, whatever problem you're facing, get into this book. Oh, Phil, that's just what a preacher would say. Okay, so it's what a preacher would say. I don't know. This is the answer. Oh, that's old-fashioned. We've got better things now. Good luck with that. Let me know how it turns out. I'm telling you, it is this simple. There's a Christian counselor who, uh, you know, when I, when I heard him say this, I was just like, oh, bro, that's, that's a little rough. He was being a bit um, sarcastic, but he was also, through that, telling the simple truth. Um, he said... Basically, when anyone comes to a Christian counselor, uh, all that needs to happen is this. Uh, Say to them, number one, uh, what is your problem? Number two, what does God's word say about it? And number three, why are we still talking? Now, that's obviously a dramatically reduced uh, approach to make a point. But really, at the end of the day, he's right. He's right. If we are not, look, if you are depending on me to feed you God's word, you're going to starve to death. It's hard to read. Oh, is it? I'm so sorry. Like, we're not trying to grow spiritual wimps here. You would read anything that interested you, that you thought would benefit you in some way. But we don't see the Bible that way. It's like, oh, it's such hard work. You're going to have to discipline yourself to get this book into you. I grew up being taught the truth. So did my sister. From the time we were, literally from the time we were born, we were taught theology. Morning and night. But you know what? It didn't do me a bit of good until I started pursuing this book for myself. That's when my life changed. That's when my life changed. And it'll be the same for you. If you're coming here, and this is all you get spiritually all week, please. I'm begging you, please. There's there's a hundred different ways you can get God's word into you today. There's no excuse. Get started on it. Um, It's interesting... 
that even though the message Ezekiel had to deliver here, it says, was filled with uh, basically warnings and judgment. That's the message he was called to deliver. It wasn't a nice, happy, upbeat, positive, feel-good message. Warnings and judgment. Even though that's what the scroll contained, he said it still tasted sweet. I believe it's because that's where God's warnings always ultimately lead the one who will listen and respond to them. God's warnings are always intended to um, restore your brokenness and restore your relationship with him. So even though the warnings are hard, they're hard to hear, they're always meant to take you to a good place. This is why the Bible tells us in five different places, Old and New Testament, don't despise God's discipline. Easier said than done, I understand. But I think as we get older, the more miles we get on our odometer with Christ, the more we go, you know what, God, I I needed that discipline. I needed that, and I thank you for it. Psalm 19 puts it this way. It's so beautiful. Verses 9 to 11. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. What? Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. He's talking about God's judgments. Look at this, verse 11. This is beautiful. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Tuck that one away to help you along the path. That is God's ultimate longing. Uh, when he disciplines us. If you want to peek ahead quickly and get a glimpse of God's heart in this book of of, uh, Ezekiel, and all these hard messages that God is going to send Ezekiel to proclaim to the people, we can see his ultimate desire for doing this. If we jump ahead to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32, it says this. This is God speaking. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, Turn and live. Do you hear the beauty in that call? It's another extension of his mercy and patience. Turn to me and live. All right, well, let's pick up back in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 4. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak what? Speak with my words to them, for you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, I'll explain this in a second. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you, but the house of Israel, they will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Verse 8. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. In the Middle East, they would have gotten this immediately. God is saying when they come against you with their words, with their judgment, with their anger and opposition, they're not going to, I'm going to make your mind strong. You're going to be hard-headed in this good way. 
that they're not going to be able to change the truth I'm putting in you. Verse 9, like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears and go get to the captives, to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them what's he to tell them? Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. You want to know just how stubborn God's people were at this point in history? God said to Ezekiel, it would be easier if I sent you to people who didn't even speak your language. He says, they would be quicker to listen and believe than my own people are. What a sad statement. And what a mission Ezekiel has been given here. He knew going into this that no one was going to listen to him. He was going to face nothing but opposition and attacks. I have to wonder, is that a mission we would accept? I got to tell you, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would. Think of how tempting it would have been for Ezekiel to change the message just enough to keep people from hating him and criticizing him. Oh, I don't mean change the whole message God gave him, you know, just, just change a little bit, soften it over here, take a few things out over here. Just change the message just enough so that people will actually like him and he won't have to face this opposition and this criticism. But the command was clear. Look at verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. And go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Ezekiel was to go and say nothing to them but God's word. Didn't matter whether they listened or whether they didn't. You know, this is, this is so clear, we'd have to want to miss this. In an environment where people don't like to listen to God's truth, the temptation is to soften the message, to make it more palatable so that it will be more acceptable. That's the temptation. The tragic irony of doing that is by softening God's truth, it may become more appealing to the listener, but it will have no power whatsoever to save them because it's only the truth that will make men free. What an irony that is. The church in large part has lost its impact with the world because the church has foolishly, in large part, not all, dumbed down the gospel, hoping it would attract more people. Well, it did. It attracted more people. Is our nation better off as a result? Do we see the evidence of changed lives? No, I don't. 
If our nation, if our world is ever going to turn around, it will only happen when the church, once again, proclaims God's truth with authority and without fear. What a tragic mistake the church has made. What a tragic mistake. We've so lost our influence with the world. Did you know you and I live in the first generation in recorded history where when an unbeliever begins searching for spiritual truth, the church is no longer on their list of places they go to find it. They don't even think about us. We fumbled the ball. Jesus gave us the example of exactly how we should proclaim the word. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. Man, I love this so much. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Oh, they were being taught the law, the religious law. But when Jesus came along, people said, no one ever spoke like this man did. He speaks with authority. The Apostle Paul charged young Timothy with his duties. What did he say to him? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. This is exactly what Ezekiel is facing. Ezekiel, uh, God said to Ezekiel, whether they listen in season or whether they don't listen, out of season. As a church, as individuals, <clears throat> we are all going to have in seasons and out seasons. There'll be times in our life when we follow God, we're doing what he's asked, and it just seems like nothing is working out like we had hoped. Things are falling apart. Nothing's going right. It's okay. It's, it's an out of season time. You know what we're told? Be prepared anyway. Be ready anyway. Preach the word anyway. Doesn't matter if anybody listens. And I can tell you that's difficult. You know, walking away from here many Sundays, just thinking, did, did anybody hear anything? Did God do any work in anybody's heart? You know, is it falling on deaf ears? Should we just, you know, pack it in? It's a very hard call, Ezekiel was given. Our message cannot be dependent on the response of the hearers. It cannot be. We're not called to preach what people want to hear. We're called to preach God's word, whether it's popular or not, whether it's trendy or not, whether it's received or not. That's not the measurement of success. I know some pastors who have been called to some of the toughest ministries I could ever imagine. Preaching in a little church in the Midwest, in a tiny town that has one red light, the town hasn't grown in 50 years. Ain't nobody new moving there. And this faithful shepherd pastors about 15 people, and he's done it for 40 years. God is pleased with that ministry. The world wouldn't give him the time of day. The church wouldn't give him the time of day. 
because he's not a success in their eyes. Mm. So much to say there. Uh, but this is only a three-hour sermon, so I need to move on. <laughs> this was the mission Ezekiel was called to. Tough. And so how did he respond? I mean, hearing all of this, hearing that his own people were going to remain rebellious, it clearly broke his heart. But also, I love the honesty of the Bible, because we're told that it also ticked him off. It made him angry. Look at verse 14, Ezekiel three fourteen. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Wow. Then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv who dwelt by the river Kibar, and I sat where they sat and remained there, astonished among them seven days. So now we've kind of come full circle from, I jumped ahead and mentioned this verse to you last week. You almost can't blame Ezekiel at this point for being angry. Um, What a difficult assignment he's been given. He was overwhelmed by all of this. But the most comforting phrase in that section we just read, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Man, I love that. Um, Can I just encourage you folks, there will be times in your life when you are just beside yourself with some pressing concern. And it will feel like you are all alone. But I want to tell you on the authority of God's word that God is always, always, always right there. He's right there to strengthen you, to help you, and to guide you. Well, I close with this last section here in chapter 3, where God sort of gives a title to what he's calling um, Ezekiel to do. Let's pick up in Ezekiel 3.16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. There's the key word for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Do you see this theme repeated? God is saying, only say what I tell you to say. Verse 18. And when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that's the purpose of God's warnings, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Ooh. Yet if I warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 21, nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man, that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. Uh, Heavy passage there. 
The role of a watchman in this era was uh, very simple and very clear. His job was to stand up on the wall or in the watchtower, if they had one, and watch constantly for any sign of an, of an approaching threat. If he saw an approaching threat, he had one job, to sound the alarm. There was a horn that, that he would blow. That was his job. If he failed to sound the warning, he would be put to death. So this was not a job you wanted to take half-heartedly. God now compares what he's calling Ezekiel to do to a watchman. Believe me, we have to work hard to understand this. Ezekiel knew exactly what the terms were. There's no question about it. God is sending Ezekiel as a watchman to his wayward people. He has one job. To warn them. To sound the warning. If he fails to warn them of God's coming judgment and they die in their sin, they will be accountable for their sin. But Ezekiel will be held accountable for not warning them. Ezekiel isn't responsible for their decision to accept or reject God's message. Just like the watchman on the tower is not responsible once he blows the horn, whether people listen or not. He's done his job. Ezekiel is only responsible for sounding the warning and delivering the message. But the consequences for refusing to deliver that message are very serious. I don't have time to pursue this. I'll let you do it on your own. But I think maybe it's pretty obvious. For every one of us here to whom God has entrusted his truth, we are carriers of the truth. If God puts on our heart to warn someone about their sin, about eternity, and we just go, ah, I'm uncomfortable doing that. Look, I'm not up here saying anything. This is all in God's hands and understanding. But I would think real, real hard about walking away from someone who God has put on your heart. So now this is the calling God has given Ezekiel, and it's not a calling any one of us would have ever chosen. But we'll see in the coming weeks that Ezekiel was faithful to this call like you cannot believe. Even though it was a very, very difficult path to walk. And the thing that he learned... <clears throat> From the first words out of the Lord's mouth to him, after he had seen God's glory, he was on his face in fear and reverence. He didn't get a pep talk. God said, boy, now's a perfect time. Now that he's seen my glory, now's a perfect time to remind him of just who he is. And he said, hey, son of man, get up on your feet. And Ezekiel in that moment was reminded, he is very very dependent upon God. He's just, a, he's just a weak little human. And the Spirit entered him and enabled him to go and to do this mission. Well, you know, I realize God hasn't called us to such a daunting mission as this, but 
Maybe God has put you on a road right now that seems like more than you can handle. Um, Can I just remind you of your need to depend upon God? The best thing you can do in this moment is to find your strength in his spirit, is to digest the truth of his word, make it a part of you. And then trust God that all of this is for your ultimate good. Are you depending on him today like Ezekiel had to? Or are you kind of winging it? I pray that all of us today, whatever situation we find ourselves in, in this moment in life, will just be reminded from this truth today, boy, I, I need him. I need him desperately in everything. Let's pray. Father, I pray, uh, as always, that you would plant this word into good soil where it can take root and it can grow. Lord, from this um, look into your word today, uh, just give each of us what we need today, wherever we are, and, and speak to us and... Um, Lord, just uh, remind us of our constant need for you. Lord, I know you will do whatever it takes to remind us of that if you have to. You'll do whatever it takes to get our attention and to bring us back to you. Um, Lord, I pray we would be individuals, we'd be families, we would be a church of people who depend upon you and who go in the strength of your spirit and people who say what you've told us to say. Make us faithful in this regard, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Of my heart, I want to see.